One of the things that I actually I shouldn't say this. One of the things that I but I'm going to say it anyways. One of the things that I love about Billy is uh, like he just sort of says what he's thinking, you know, and you don't always get that. Like this morning, about seven minutes before the service started, Billy looked at me and was like, "James, this is a, I mean, this is a big passage. Like, you're, are we going to go through all of this today?" And I was like, "No, no, I don't think I'm going to get through all of it." I'm like, first handful of verses. I'm like, he's like, you're not going to skip it, are you? I wouldn't skip it. I mean, I would split it up and do it for two weeks or, I mean, you're just not going to forget about it, are you? I'm like, Billy, the service starts in seven minutes. Like what, what's done is done. Like we, there's, there's no going back. And then just now he comes up and it's like, did I come up at the wrong time? Not that people wouldn't ask that question, but most people would ask it after the service. We're live with Billy. We're live. I love that. Uh, okay, uh, survey, quick show of hands. Who here loves riding roller coasters? Okay, okay, hands down. And how many of you are just scared by nature? Okay, fa- fair, fair enough. But scared, welcome scaredy cats and those who enjoy roller coasters. The first time I rode a roller coaster was in middle school. I was at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, America's roller coaster. Yes! Yeah, shout out to Sandusky. They literally have never heard that before. Uh, the first ride that I ever went on was the Blue Streak. Uh, it was the kind of the roller coaster that you saw right when you came into the park. That's why I rode it uh, first. You know, at the time, I was, I mean, I was scared. When I was in middle school at the time, I primarily was scared because I heard children, women, and growing adult men screaming on the ride. I thought, this seems scary to me. When I approached the ride, I remember sitting down on on a bench. There was no like fancy over-the-shoulder things to keep you safe. To the best of my recollection, there were no seat belts. I'm not making that up. There just was the bar. You know the bar? You sit in the bench and you close the bar. It's like putting a kid in the back seat when you had a station wagon in the 80s. You're like, good luck. Like, there's no seat belts. You're like, I think you'll be okay. I felt that. And when you sit in one of those roller coasters, when you're on the bench that only has the bar that you pull down, it is impossible to pull down the bar far enough. Like, I wanted two or three more clicks, and I couldn't get it. I wanted the bar so tight against my lap that I could not breathe. Because I just had this picture in my mind of... Just a little middle school student flying through the air in Sandusky, Ohio, without his cape and just kind of landing on the pavement. I didn't, I didn't want that. I was deathly afraid. I thought my life, my life is in my hands. Only uh, it wasn't. My life was not in my hands and my life isn't in my hands and your life is not in your hands either. Uh, you are secure in Christ. You're secure in Christ. It is not up uh, to you. You are secure in him. And this morning, uh, during our time together, I want to explain why that is true. If you've been with us walking through the Gospel of John, you may know that the Gospel of John was written uh, so that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life 
in his name. So these stories uh, that have been recorded for us in John's Gospels are not arbitrary. They're not just random events that took place that kind of got slapped together. John has a purpose in his writing, and his purpose is so that you and I may know Christ and that by knowing Christ, we may have life. And so that is what uh, I want for you this morning. If you are here this morning and you are searching or you are questioning or you are wondering or you are wrestling or even if you are rejecting Jesus, I want you to consider his claims and I want to invite you to believe. Uh, If you are here this morning and you are wrought with worry or anxiety or fear that you are not secure I want you to know uh, that you can have the kind of security that does not flap or flail in the wind. Uh, You can put your head on your pillow at the end of the day and know that you belong to God and he's not going to let you go. And if you are here this morning and you would claim to have rock-solid assurance Uh, that you are God's kid. I just simply want to remind you uh, where that sense of security comes from. And so if you have your Bibles, and if you haven't done so already, please turn with me to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, verse 22 reads, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Uh, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Uh, We're told in the text that the Jews gather around Jesus. There are times in the New Testament when the New Testament refers to the Jews that it's referring to uh, the people that God had chose for himself, the Jewish people. There are other times when uh, scripture talks about the Jews where it's specifically talking about Jewish leaders. Here we have this group of Jews coming uh, to Jesus and they are asking him a question that seems valid when we first read it. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You may read that and think to yourself, well, they just want some clarity. They've heard the teachings of Jesus. They've seen the works of Jesus. Maybe they just want to know for certain that Jesus is who he claims uh, to be. But uh, we read, if we continue to read, about this group of people, that they were not bubbling with excitement uh, for one last piece of assurance to know that Jesus was who he claimed to be. They came to Jesus uh, with all their doubts, and they came to him uh, in their unbelief. And they basically were asking him in this question, um, we want you to jump through another hoop for us. Uh, We don't buy in or believe uh, what you are telling us about yourself. The reason that I say that is because Jesus replied to them in verse 25 and said, I told you, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus tells the people when they ask this question, listen, I've, I've, <laughs> I've already told you what is true. 
And not only did I tell you, but I actually showed you. It's like a, a parent who says to their little child who asks again and again and again, asked and answered. Like we, we've covered this already. Jesus tells them, I've, I've shown you by my works uh, that I am the Messiah, and I have told you with my words. This is like uh, show and tell in school. You remember in elementary school, did you ever have show and tell before? Uh, did you ever have show and tell, or was it just me? Maybe we just did this in the north. Yeah, yeah, you gathered things from your home, you brought them to school on like a Thursday morning, and it was like your favorite thing. Maybe it was a stuffed animal, maybe it was a, a football or something that you loved or that you cared about, and you brought it to school, and you would tell your fellow students all about the little thing that you brought, and then you would show them, right? It's show and tell. Well, Jesus like published the master class and show and tell. Because he is telling the people, I've shown you and I've told you. And we know this. If we go through the Gospel of John, all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is performing signs and wonders that point to who he is. uh, And he is speaking with his words and alluding to the fact that he is the Messiah. We read, for instance, in John chapter 2, how Jesus, in his first miracle, turns water into wine. Uh, communicating to the people that he is where true joy is found. In John chapter 3, we read about the story of, of John the Baptist who comes and says to the people essentially, hey, I want to decrease, I want Jesus to increase. John's living his life, pointing other people to Jesus as the Messiah. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals a, a man's son without ever taking a step in the direction of the child who is sick and dying in another town. Jesus just speaks a word. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. And then he had the audacity to call God his father and called himself the son of God and the son of man, alluding to the fact that he was the Messiah. In John chapter 6, Jesus Uh, performs a miracle and feeds the 5,000 men and then women and families. In John uh, chapter 7, Jesus stood up at a Jewish festival and quotes from Isaiah chapter 55 and basically tells the people, hey, I'm I'm that guy. In John chapter 8, Jesus continued to preach at a Jewish festival. This time, he applied a messianic passage from Isaiah chapter 4 and told the people, Hey, that's me. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man born blind. All that to say, if you were wondering who Jesus was, Jesus gave ample evidence to the fact that he, in fact, was the Messiah. Jesus tells the people, you ask me who I am. You ask for clarity. And I've given you everything that you need. Um, This, by the way, is incredibly kind uh, for Jesus, for God to do. Uh, God has revealed himself to us. He didn't have to. Like, like we could navigate through life and God could play a cosmic game of hide and go seek. Like, just figure it out. Just, you know, read up. See what you find. But But he's not a distant God. He has come to us. He's revealed himself to us. He's he's shown us and given us ample evidence uh, to believe Jesus for who he is. 
No, I, I wonder, are you here this morning thinking to yourself, you know, I, I, I really wish that God would reveal himself to me. You know, I've been doing some reading. I've heard some stories. Uh, but I don't buy in. I'm still waiting. I just want to remind you that God in Christ has given us everything that we need. Jesus came. He was, he was born of a virgin some 2,000 years ago. He, he lived a perfect life. He, he performed miracles. He taught. He loved. He poured himself out for the sake of others. Scripture records that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And he revealed himself to hundreds of witnesses after he was raised. Like we have ample evidence. And so I wonder if you're here this morning and, and you just need a little bit more. Like could I encourage you and challenge you that God has given you everything that you need. Uh, may he give you eyes uh, to see and a heart uh, to receive him. John chapter 10 verse 25 reads, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus told the people, you don't believe not because you need one or two more pieces of evidence. You don't believe because you do not belong to me. You're not my sheep. I read something like that and I think to myself, well, then <laughs> Like, who, who is his sheep and who isn't? Uh, who are the people of God and who are not uh, the people of God? One of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible helps answer some of the questions that we ask. And Jesus does that in John chapter 10, verse 27. Who are his sheep? Who belongs to God? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. All right, so three things. My sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me. God's people hear God's voice. God speaks. Uh, he has spoken uh, to us uh, through his son. God speaks to us in many different ways. Some of the ways that God speaks to us is mysterious. It's difficult to describe or even explain. There, there's some mystery there. And then there are other times where it's, I mean, it's just plain as day. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, read long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so God spoke to us through uh, the prophets. We read in scripture times where God speaks through people. Uh, there are other times that we read God speaking through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads us and guides us. I know that there is, there is mystery there and what that looks like at times. Uh, but certainly one could argue that God speaks to us um, through his word. Like God has given to us his living and active word. And sometimes I think we try to overcomplicate hearing God's voice. We think somehow that God's voice is found on the mountaintop or somewhere written in the sky or by reading tea leaves. We assume that hearing God's voice is this, this puzzle that we need to somehow fit together or that hearing God's voice is a riddle to be solved. Again, 
There, there is mystery there, and yet there are times when God speaks to us plainly. If you want to hear from God, read God's word. Read his word. If you're thinking to yourself, well, I would love to hear from God. Just know, like, you have, you've heard from God. We have heard from God. Scripture says that the Bible is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. God's word isn't some ancient dead document. It's not a history book that tells fanciful stories of things that may or may not have happened thousands of years ago. God's word is living and active. So God uses his word to form and shape us today. There are times when we read these pages, things that were written thousands of years ago, and God meets us in that moment. That is amazing. It's amazing. If you want to hear the voice of uh, God, then read uh, the word of God. God's people hear his voice. Secondly, we're told that God's sheep or God's people not only hear the voice of God, but they are known by God. Um, God's people are known by God. Pause and consider the weightiness of this truth that the God of the universe knows you. This is an intimate knowledge. We've, We've talked about this before, but... I mean, just think about the fact that God knows everything about you. And he knows the, he knows the real you. He, he doesn't simply know the I'm going to put my best foot forward you. He, he doesn't just know the you that we try to present to the watching world. You know how we try to control the narrative of our lives so that people will see us in a certain light or perceive us in a certain way. God knows the real you, the good and the bad and the ugly. He knows the things that you think. He knows the things that you see. He knows the things that you feel. He knows the things that you do. Like He knows all of it. And... He loves you as his own. That is amazing. I mean, all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, think to ourselves, if someone else knew the real me, then they would not be around. Haddon Robinson, the great preacher, once prayed before a message, God, if these people knew about me what you know about me, they would not listen to a word that I said. I mean, think about that. God knows you. Who are God's sheep? Who are his people? God's people hear God's voice. God's people are known by God. And third, God's people follow God. They follow Jesus. This was the invitation by Jesus. This is the invitation in the gospels that Jesus gives to his followers. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. I mean, just think about that call that we read about in Scripture to follow Jesus. Have you ever stopped and paused and gone, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? When Jesus sends out that call to his followers, to his disciples, and says to them, I want you to come after me. Have you ever stopped to think about how full and vibrant that invitation is? It is unbelievable. You ever play the game Simon Says when you were a kid? I remember playing Simon Says. You know Simon. You know Simon Says. You know, tap your head and you, and you tap your head. And none of you are doing this clearly. You guys don't want to. 
You don't have time for my little games. That's fine. You play Simon Says. You know, Simon Says, tap your head, and you tap your head. Simon, Simon Says, touch your left elbow, and you touch your left elbow. Simon Says, touch your right elbow. You touch your right elbow. Judy, come on. I want to see you. Touch your nose. Touch your nose. Ah, oh, Simon didn't say touch your nose. Nah, I got some of you. Oh, I'm tricky. Like following Jesus is like a, like a game of Simon Says. Like this, the Savior says, you, you come after me. Like you, you follow me. You, fo- you follow me. When, when Jesus invited people to follow him, there was this expectation that, that they were going to put themselves under the teaching of their rabbi and they were going to go where he said to go and they were going to do what he said to do. And it's not different for you and for me. I understand a different time, a different place, but there still is this expectation that when we hear the voice of the shepherd, that we don't just hear the voice, but that we actually follow it. That that one of the fruits of a relationship with Jesus is obedience to Jesus. That we come to him with open hands and we say, Jesus, I want to... I want to do what you asked me to do. I want to go where you tell me uh, to go. Imagine for a moment, if, if you would, that it's dinner time at your house and you have young kids or maybe older kids, maybe teenagers, and uh, dinner's ready. And the table is set. You know, the plates are out, silverware, these cups with some drinks. And you, you've placed uh, the meal out for the family to enjoy. There's some broccoli it's got to be healthy. You can see the steam rising. There's a, there's a bowl of mashed potatoes with a little pat of butter that's literally melting before your eyes. There's a, there's a plate of meat, preferably red meat. You can see the juices kind of build on the plate. They're like sitting in a little, a little puddle of goodness. And, I, and the kids are upstairs. And they're doing what kids do. They're, they're playing video games or reading a book or... They're on their phone or they're doing homework. And, and you call up and you say, hey, it's dinner time. No, dinner's ready. And then you wait. And you wait. And you wait some more. And you're looking at the table and the steam that at one time was rising, all of a sudden is not rising anymore. Uh, the potatoes at one point that, that, were, that were hot enough to melt the pat, pat of butter all of a sudden are cooling off. Uh, the, the drink that you were going to enjoy o- over dinner, the, the glass is starting to sweat because the liquid has been in there for a while. And so you, you yell up the stairs to your kids and you go, dinner time, dinner's ready. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And finally you think to yourself, what in the world is going on? And you, and you march up the stairs and there are your, your kids. And they're playing a video game or reading a book, or just, just doing their thing. And you go, Did, didn't you hear my voice? And they go, yeah, we, we heard it. We heard it. And they go back to playing their game, or reading their book, or doing their thing. Now, what's, what's wrong with that picture? Well, the, what's wrong with the picture is when you, when you called them to the table, uh, they didn't come. And when you asked them, they said, no, we heard your voice, but what did you want? You wanted them to come. You know, friends, I wonder how many times in life God, God calls. 
and we hear his voice, but we don't come to the table. Like I wonder for you this morning, is there something in, in your heart or in your life where God's calling? Like you know. Like there, there's something that he's, that he's calling you to, to do that you haven't done. Or there's something that he's calling you to stop doing that you're not quite willing to let go of. And, he, and he's calling you to the table. And he wants you to come. Don't just hear his voice. Uh, follow him. Because God, God's, kids, God's kids hear God's voice. God knows his kids, and they follow him. The text continues in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, This morning, can I ask you a question? Are you secure in your relationship with God? And where does your security come from? Where does your security come from? I mean, late at night or if there are are, are times or seasons of doubt in your heart, what brings you assurance that you belong to God? Is Is it straight up obedience Is it a good service record? Is it regularity in your tithes and offerings? Is it the fact that you think you're a little nicer than your neighbor? Like what what brings you or gives you hope? That is not an insignificant question. It may feel like an insignificant question today. If you're a student, you may think to yourself, James, I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I think about other things. Like I think about the fact that the semester started four weeks ago and I'm three weeks behind. I think about that. I'm not thinking about eternal security. Or maybe you're a college student and you're thinking to yourself, I don't, you know, I don't, this major that I was thoroughly convinced of for 48 hours when I declared, I don't, things have changed a little bit and I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. And maybe... Maybe I should switch majors, or maybe you're single and you're in a relationship and you're going, is this the one or is this isn't the one? I don't really know. It's a, it's a coin flip right now. You're not sure which direction to go. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, is this job truly a career? Like, can I see myself doing this five years from now or 10 years from now or 30 years from now? Should I stay in this neighborhood that I'm in or this house that I'm in? Should I move? Should I go? Should I stay? Like, maybe, maybe you're thinking about a thousand different things on a daily basis. And, and you're not thinking to yourself, do I, do I belong to God? Am I rightly related with the God who made you or who made me? Maybe you're not thinking about that today, but can I tell you something? There will be a day when you will think about it. Like you'll, you'll think about it. You'll get, you'll get a phone call. There'll be an accident, like you'll look at your life and you'll think to yourself, man, I'm a whole lot closer to the finish line than I am the starting line. And you'll think about that question. And so if you're thinking about that question, even now, I want to remind us of where our assurance uh, comes from. Jesus tells us 
in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Who gives life? God gives life. God gives life. I, Jesus, I give them eternal life. The God of the universe is the giver of life. This is so important. Jesus does not say to us when we question, when we wonder, hey, listen, man, you earned it. You earned it. You're good. You worked for it. You showed up. I mean, you don't, don't worry. You checked the box. You threw the stick in the fire. You raised the hand. I saw it. You're good, man. Jesus does not give us confidence that way. He gives us confidence by reminding us, I, Jesus, gives eternal life. I give life. And then he says, no one can snatch that life out of God's hands. I give them life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Remember as a kid when uh, your dad would put like a quarter in his hand? And he, and he would close his hand, like, like he would clasp down on the coin, on the quarter. And as a little kid, I don't know if you guys ever do this or not. I did this with my kids. I would, you know, take money from their piggy banks. And, but I'm kidding. I didn't, I always gave it back. I would put it in my hand and I'd snatch that little quarter. And then they would try to like pry open my fingers. But it was, I mean, it was a silly endeavor for them. Because I was, I mean, I was stronger. There was no way that they were going to open up my hand and take the coin. Because I had such a grasp on it and I wasn't going to let it go. Do you know that the God of the universe, if you belong to him, like he, he has a grip on you. And he is not going to lose you. His fingers, his hands are not going to grow weary or tired. No one or nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Jesus uh, continues, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father am one. It says, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Uh, For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is what gets Jesus in trouble. So much is taking place here. On one hand, uh, Jesus is reminding uh, his kids that I'm not going to lose you. I saved you. I rescued you. I am going to hold on to you. Nothing, nothing can snatch you from my hands. He is doing that and simultaneously as he is doing that, he is telling people or teaching people or reminding people why he can even do what he's doing. And the reason that he can do it, according to Jesus, is because the Father, God the Father, gave these people to me. And oh, by the way, I and the Father am one. I mean, you talk about like, mind blown, that like, Chew on that for a while. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. If you don't know me, you do not know the Father. But Jesus is saying, because I and the Father am one, when the Father gives me someone, I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to hold on to them. This is what gets Jesus killed. 
Jesus was not, not murdered because he taught people to love one another. He, he wasn't killed even because he, he performed miraculous acts, and that really, really bothered people. Certainly people were frustrated he did it on the Sabbath, but that's not what got him killed. What got him killed is, is, is this. These kinds of claims, to know me is to know the Father. I and the Father am one. Do, do, do you know Jesus? Do you know uh, the Father? Uh, to those here this morning who are searching or questioning or wrestling or rejecting, I want you to consider the claims of Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God, the one sent from God to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be buried and to be raised back uh, to life. Uh, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you say, I, I hear your words and I, and I follow you? He has given us ample evidence. To those here this morning who are wrought uh, with worry or anxiety or fear that you are secure, I want you uh, to know that that security in Christ is yours. In Christ. You are secure in Christ. If you are here this morning and you have that rock-solid confidence, I mean, praise God for that. It is my hope and prayer that your confidence uh, comes from Christ and not from within. Friends, we have fickle hearts and our, our feelings fluctuate. They, they come and go. Uh, but God's word is true and trustworthy and steadfast. His promises are true. And so may God fill your heart with hope in life today. Would you pray with me? Father God, I do, do pray this morning that, that the assurance that comes from Jesus would be ours. Lord, I pray for, for folks on a, on a spiritual journey who are looking for answers that uh, that you would give them eyes to see, that those answers would be uh, found in Jesus and that they would come uh, to faith. Lord, as I think about your uh, call for us uh, to hear a voice and to follow, I pray uh, this morning for folks that, that need to, to move, to take a step, that hear your voice in some area of their heart or in their life. Uh, they, They've heard you clearly, but they need to move. I pray that you would give them the courage to do so, to come uh, to your table and, and find uh, life and find a direction and find hope. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, your true and abiding word. Uh, Lord, thank you that you do not lose uh, your sheep, your people that, that you rescue, that you save, you, you hold on to. I give you thanks for that truth this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.